You're listening to the High Performance Podcast, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the world's greatest artists, entrepreneurs, business people, and sports stars to unlock the secrets to their success to help you. Um, So far, we've had an amazing response to Series 5. Thank you very much for getting involved. Loads of people loving what Gareth Southgate had to say about the way he's choosing and selecting his players for this summer's Euros. Uh, Grace Beverly wowed us all. She was absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much once again for coming to us for your hit of inspiration every single week. And don't forget, every Friday, we also release our short bite-sized episodes. So if you haven't got an hour to sit and dissect and listen and take notes and learn, then just check out the Bite Size episodes on a Friday just to give you that little boost at the end of the week. Oh, we've got a brilliant episode for you today. Here's what you can expect from today's High Performance Podcast. I'm still one of the best players in this game, in the world. I was so focused on that. And I would fight through pain, which ended up being detrimental to me, in which I had a pulmonary, literally had a pulmonary embolism and collapsed lung. And I refuse to go to the hospital for a long time. When you're interrupted in the middle of your thing, especially when you're at the in the best shape of your life, it doesn't make any sense. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Eleven-time NBA All-Star. Two-time NBA champion, 2008 Olympic gold medalist and the NBA's first global ambassador of basketball. So they are the what. That is what today's guest won. That is what defined his career. But on this podcast, as many of you already know, we care an awful lot more about the how. How did his parents inspire him? How did he develop that resilient winning mentality that we require for success? How did he process failure? How did he deal with the good times? And when his life, not just his career, hung in the balance, how did he move forward? It's a pleasure to welcome to High Performance, NBA and Miami Heat legend, author of a new book, Letters to a Young Athlete. But more than that, Father of five children, and surely that, of all the things he's done, is the most high performance. Uh, welcome, Chris Bosch. It's nice to have you with us, Chris. Hey, man. Thank- you know what, man? That intro, it's like a beginning of a boxing match, man. I love it, man. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Thank you for that. You better get ready to deliver some knockout blows, my friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a part of it. It's a part of the training. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's get going then. Chris Bosch, what is high performance? High performance. You know, one of the things I like to say, just I like to keep things simple, but high performance is performing high consistently. That's like that consi- consistency. That's the word. You know, I think um, we, we all have been in a situation and especially with me, um, you know, in athletic performance, you 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 have uh, some people that you play with, and even yourself. You have that night, just that magical night, you know, where it's like, whoa, oh my gosh, I had the best performance ever. But then you have to do it again, and then you have to do it again, 
And then after you do it again, you have to do it again. And then when you do it again, you talk to the coach and the coach says, well, I need more, Chris. So you're going to have to do it again, you know, and and being able to meet and exceed expectations and continuously pushing the bar higher and higher and finding that moment of truth over and over again of how much you have and how you're going to get through it and, and navigate these obstacles. I think that's what high performance is. It's, it's, it's rising to the occasion every single time you're called. And you might not always be successful, right? You might, I guess, um, quote unquote, fail sometimes, but it's only a failure if you don't get back up. But if you get back up, and keep trying, I think that's what high performance is. So let's talk then about daily habits, because I think that people listening to this podcast understand the raw natural talent that you had to be an athlete. They can even understand, even if they can't recreate the hard work that went into you turning that natural talent into NBA level performances. Mm -hmm. What I think people struggle with more than anything who listen to this pod is how do they get consistent? So what were the habits that you employed to give you consistency? Man, you know, it's it's a certain sexiness to being a basketball player, right? I think we can all agree with that. And being a rock star or whatever it is, man, my my day would pretty much, this would be a typical day for me if it is a game day. See, people only saw us at the game or only see an athlete at the gym in uniform for about two and a half hours. It's assumed that you have the rest of your day. Not quite. You know, if a regular game day. This is going to be 82 times a year. I would wake up in the morning. Uh, I would eat breakfast, wake up about 9 a.m., no matter what happened the night before, whether I got in at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m., wake up at 9 a.m. Uh, if it was a game day, I'd be at the gym. We watch film for half an hour. We do our walkthrough for another hour. Take a shower, go home. I, uh, I eat my lunch. I'm taking a nap. I wake up. I'm off to the game. I tried to leave the house, you know, about five o'clock because I want to be on the court two hours before the game to get my, you know, warm up shots in. And then, man, when it's uh, about 40 minutes on the clock, 30 minutes on the clock, coach is coming in to give him his, give his speech, get our game plan ready. Boom. We're out there. Game is over, you know, usually about 10 o'clock. And, you know, damn, <laughs> at 10 o'clock, that's when I'm taking a shower and winding down. And like I say, if I'm banged up, I got to I got to put the time in on the training table. Let me put this ice on my face so, you know, my kids won't be scared of this big knot in the morning. And then, you know, you go home. But I would always try to, like, you know, go get something to eat or something like that to have some sort of inter social interaction, you know, during the day. Then we do it again. Now, mind you, I have not mm -hmm. talked about flights I've not talked about a bus ride or a hotel room. That's a whole other aspect to this whole thing. And that touches on an interesting point for us then, Chris, that you've just described in some real fascinating detail, the what you did. Why did you do it? Because for any what, there has to precede it, a really clear sense of why. And what was your why to go through that routine? I asked myself this question while I was writing this book and what was going to be important in, in um, writing it. And I have a chapter about that, finding your why. And you have to dig really deep into it, right? Because sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation just because someone else thought we would be good or decent in this area. Your, your heart isn't all the way in it. 
And that's a very dangerous place to be because you want to make your decisions and go after what you love, right? And discover those things for yourself. My why was just, I loved, I love basketball, man. From a young kid, I loved everything about it. See, what is intriguing in your answer there, Chris, is that you're challenging the narrative that for so many NBA players or, or, or players that operate at an elite level, they often describe the struggle maybe to escape hardship or poverty or difficult mm-hmm. early circumstances. And yet I know that you came from a loving home. You had two very successful parents. You're describing a very different narrative there. So what sustained you beyond that love of playing basketball and the camaraderie when you got into that professional level where the demands and the expectations increased? What was it that kept you going then? It was one of those things. What else would I do it for? Since a young age, I mean, from the moment I remember basketball, it was pretty much around 91, 92. I would see Michael Jordan every year in the finals, you know, and then the dream team came together. So the impression on my mind was just seeing these men compete and win gold medals and have sneakers and drinks and have everybody just man, come into the games to watch them play. That was a huge part of it. And and I understood that responsibility, even on a hard day. And that's why you have to find something that you love doing. Because even on a hard day, I still know what I'm doing. I still love what I'm doing. And this is why I'm here. I'm here because, man, I can play basketball and inspire people. So you're a young kid growing up and you're watching successful basketball players on the TV and you're daydreaming of being one of them and we've all got kids and we've all got kids that spend their time daydreaming basically from a young age you are visualizing a basketball career how important was that and how important is visualization you know that's uh that's one of my words that i love and it's definitely a pillar that you have to have because i know how much time i spent visualizing my goal and i tell you man it it happens now, I know I'm in an anomaly and sometimes they're, they're slow. Sometimes it happens fast, but I gave a tremendous amount of time to seeing myself performing, you know, putting myself in that position and say, okay, we're down to 10 seconds on the clock. I'm not having a good game. Well, what do I do? Okay. You know, and that was one of the, one of the things I didn't even know that I was doing as a child was visualizing these things happening and and feeling that success in my heart. And that goes with the with the short-term goals as well. You have to see yourself being successful. You've got to see it in your mind's eye before it comes to the physical world. You're describing certain scenarios that are really fascinating, such as being two points down with 10 seconds on the clock. And traditionally, people assume that visualization is around, say, a certain static skill like scoring from a penalty Mm -hmm. shot or something like that. But you're describing the dynamic of being in a game. Yes. Would you explain the difference for us between what you just described and what we traditionally assume visualization is? Usually what I found that helped me be successful was those spur of the moment things that just come right away and you've got to happen, make it happen now. Or you're in a situation for those sports fans out there, it's seconds left and you don't have any timeouts. How am I going to react to that situation now? What move am I going to do now? If it's a penalty kick, yeah, sure. If it's a free throw, all right, we got to practice those too. But the dynamic movements that I might have to make, 
that's where the magic is. And, and you know, um, one of those moments that, you know, were one of the biggest shots in NBA history, but I got to take part in that was Ray Allen hits a, a corner three and, and to keep our season alive in the closing seconds of a series and we end up winning a championship. You know, I asked him about that. Like, how do you do you practice that shot? Do you? He said, oh, yeah, I practice that. And then I started paying attention even more to the drills that he would do. He would lay down on the ground face first and then somebody would smack a ball. He'd hurry up and get up and run to the three point line and shoot it. And then he said in that repetition, the court became an extension of me. So you couldn't say when you're going to use that shot. And I asked him, have you ever shot that shot in a game? He said, no. <laughs> you know, so it's these moments that you just, you know, and you you, you eventually learn how to do it for fun uh, because it's a challenge. But, you know, get get having practicing these situations and adapting them, adapting your action to what would happen, what you possibly do in that situation. I think that's kind of, you know, one of the biggest challenges we always try to mess with. And a lot of that stuff that happens on the court is visualization, right? What about Absolutely. what about manifestation? What's your what's your relationship like with manifestation? Um, you know, it's it's a wonderful word and I love that word, but it ain't nothing without work. I love that. You got to put the work in, man, and 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 if it's manifested, usually when you're manifesting or it's manifested, you're like, "Yeah, okay, uh, I just want to go sit down. But don't you think, though, <laughs> like, don't you think, though, Chris, that the work only comes because of the manifestation? Like, I suppose, my, I think the mistake people make is they go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to chill on the sofa and I'm going to manifest a massively successful career. Right. Right. That is not going to work. <laughs> but my, not gonna work. my belief is if you, the, the manifestation can be so powerful that it gets you off the sofa and it gets you in the car and it gets you in the office and it gets you grafting and getting up at five in the morning, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's the, the actual work. I mean, manifestation, I think, you know, manifesting, that's a verb. You have to put yourself in action. You have to take those steps to accomplishing the goal. Otherwise, it just stays in your head. How hard did you work? That's a tough question for me to answer. I know, you know, hard. Um, well, I, so for instance, I asked my best friend. He's been, you know, he's been with me through everything. And I asked him, I said, man, you know, my career didn't end the way I wanted it to. I felt like I left so much on the table. I mean, even watching film, man, I could have watched more film. He said, wait a minute, let me stop you right there. You watched more film than anybody I have ever met or saw, you know, and that was just one facet to the game, you know? So, I mean, it takes everything, you know, I worked extremely hard. I mean, even, you know, my wife, she would tell me about, you know, forget these things, but we would win a championship. We'd go on vacation. I'm working out on that vacation. <laughs> you know, I would give myself maybe a week, maybe two, and then I'm back on the bike. I'm back stretching. I'm back getting a light lift in to be prepared, start preparing for the next season because I want to be in shape once we hit the ground running. You know, so just the load of work putting into my body, putting into my game, putting into the team. I mean, countless, countless, countless hours. So, Chris, can I ask you? how that relates to the culture of the team that you went into, because you were obviously successful at Miami. What would you say was the difference then in your experience to go into a team like Miami that was successful, that other teams weren't doing? I think um, uh, the collective narrative within a team, right? And knowing what you're going after. 
and and really holding everyone accountable like accountability that's a it's an easy word to say like manifestation but when it comes time to call someone out and say hey you've got to do this you weren't there no you're wrong or on the flip side for one of your teammates to say you were wrong and hold you accountable and you've got to take it <laughs> don't let the ego get involved those were i think those were the differences and and you know those are the the things that you have to have as you know really as an organization and as a unit but those are always the things i feel that organizations are searching for you know you've got to have your ethos and how do you create them then so if they're not there and if there's anyone listening to this that thinks i'd love to be part of a successful organization and i and i can understand what you've just described how do you start to go around introducing them to a team i think you have to find those values that you know really resonate within you so for me you know teamwork communication is huge visualization i have to be with visionaries i have to be with people that are going to do the work and then when it's time, I have to be with people that are going to rise to the occasion and make it happen. You know, with the heat in particular, I thought it was fascinating that they had these values of saying, hey, it's about hard work. Hey, it's, it's about getting better every day. It's about communication. You know, even if we're having a bad day, I'm going to communicate to you respectively that I don't feel like talking right now. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure some things out on my own. But having that collective team mentality and saying, okay, not only do we have our, our, our main staple points and our values, but this is why we do it. Because we want to, this is going to make us successful. So I'm going to communicate with you because we want to win a championship. So we, this team can be successful and we can be the best team in the world you know, and be successful in that way. That's like one of the main things you have to have. You, you find those values within yourself. You find those that align with those values to justify going after that goal. We often ask a question on this podcast, Chris, of, of people that have been members of successful dominant teams. And we ask them, how much of that success was down to the talent that was there in the room and how much of it was down to the culture and the environment around them. If you had to apportion a figure to those two, what would your answer be? It's, it's like the chicken or the egg paradox, right? But, you know, I think, you know, uh, teamwork is definitely always super important. And so is talent, right? But you always have to have that perfect marriage of the work, the teamwork and the talent to make things make sense. So let's talk about teamwork then, because... I don't know whether it's the same in the States, but over here, um, about six months ago, everyone was watching The Last Dance. Yeah. And of one of the really big takeaways for us on that was the day that Michael Jordan realized, as great as he is, he's not going to win a title without the team. Do you remember Absolutely. the day that you realized that you have to let other people be the star sometimes, let someone else take the score? Well, I mean... In my situation, it was it was fascinating looking back on my career because I was the guy, the number one guy, the box office guy in Toronto for five or six years, you know, being the franchise cornerstone, being the hope. And that's when I realized how hard it is, you know, with me and, uh, you know, being the guy scoring the most points which is about, you know, 25 points, 23 points or whatever it was, getting 10 or 11 or 12 rebounds a game that only afforded us 
like maybe, maybe a couple of extra days in the playoffs. I mean, I'd be work my tail off and the team will work our tails off to have a week and a half extra in the season. And we're packing our bags and going home in six games. That's when I knew that it takes a tremendous amount of talent and like I'm doing something wrong or something has to change for me to get to that level of where I want to go. And it was, you know, especially frustrating because I'm watching my peers. I'm watching LeBron, whom I've known since we were 17, 16 years old. I'm watching Carmelo, who I've known since we were 17 years old. I'm watching Dwayne Wade, who I've known since we were 19 years old, you know, be on the stage during, you know, the time where I'm just on the couch getting ready for the next workout, you know, because I want to be where they are. So how do you also work out the moment where it's up to you to step up, the moment to be the star? I think sometimes, you know, you'll just feel it. Um, The challenge for me in our big three situation. Did you like that? Did you like those games where you thought, hold on, someone needs to take this game by the scruff of the neck here? Well, the, the the obvious one was when Dwayne and LeBron or either one of them weren't playing. That was my, you know, time to say, okay, I can step out the third row. Hey, I'm getting the second or first most shots. And those were always the funnest games, you know, just because, you know, it's like, ah, let me remind everybody how good I am at this game. And then I'll go back to my No added pressure? Always added pressure. I love pressure. It makes you perform. You know, it makes you it makes you lock in and be serious. If you're not like a lot of people get to pressure and when when they get to it, they kind of feel like, oh, man, I'm getting pressured. <gasps> I can't breathe. You know, for me, it's like, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing is real. Let's make sure we make it happen tonight. We got to win the night, baby. You know, anytime LeBron or D wasn't playing, I would look at all the rest of the guys and say, OK, what? Everybody just thinks we're going to lose today. No, 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 no. Let's go out here. We're competitors. We're a team. We're going to go out here. And regardless of who's playing, one of our mottos is to kick butt. <laughs> we're gonna kick we're gonna kick some ass while we're out here so regardless of who's playing that's the thing and we're gonna make it happen some of those values that you're describing there about taking accountability and stepping up when the pressure's on a lot of them seem like they come from your parents what they taught you that that, that they were almost inherent in you would you tell us a little bit about your background growing up that allowed you to to be able to go on to the biggest stages, the brightest lights, yeah, and to respond like that. Absolutely. So just to kind of paint a picture of where I'm from, I am uh, from a small town called Hutchins, Texas. I would go to school in Dallas, and you know we went to school in uh, you know the South Dallas, a very very uh, cultured part of the city. But you know at the same time, with that said, it was uh, it was a neighborhood without as many resources as others. That's how I'll phrase it. You know what I mean? And I mean, for us, we hovered right there on the poverty line, you know, lower middle class, um, you know, but I was lucky. I was one of my only friends who had both parents in the house. We didn't have much, but we always had something to eat. Wasn't the best clothes every year, but we had some clothes, you know, the bare, bare minimum in entertainment. But one of the things that I always remember from that time was it was good times, you know, Regardless of whatever financial situations, I mean, I watched my dad's car get repoed or my mom's car get repoed more than one time. You know, I've been there, I mean, literally in the house when they cut the lights off. 
My dad telling me going to the eighth grade, yeah, I don't have any money for back to school clothes. Man, as a young black child (laughs) in America to hear that, man, any child, but specifically me to hear that. I mean, that's catastrophic. I won't survive school, you know, so those were the realities. But with that said, looking back on it, it was good times. And I always kept that with me. And with all of that, those were things out of my control, right? But I could control being on time to practice. I can control, you know, my effort on the court in practice and in the games. And if I'm lucky enough to get on that court and play the game, all these extremities, like you were saying before, they might be around me and they might be happening, but man, I'm a kick ass while I'm on this court. I've got this opportunity right now, and this is way easier, as hard as practice can be. It's way easier than looking at my dad while he has that disappointed look on his face, you know, while we're in some sort of real world struggle. So, looking at your dad saying no new clothes for the school year and seeing the pain on his face gives you emotional intelligence walking into the school without the new clothes for the school year gives you resilience having a successful career in the nba teaches you what hard work can deliver and then we will talk in a moment about the fact that your career ended in a very painful way very suddenly yeah all of those things that are part of your journey and your story how do they inform the way you parent your children today oh man that's a good one you know i actually it's, it's like the testing ground as a father, you see what works and what doesn't work, <laughs> you know, and my challenge is always having that balance of saying, OK, I don't want to be one of the guys the back in my day, guys, I had to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow. I don't want to <laughs> be that guy. You know, I want them to understand things for themselves. So taking these instances and qualities, but having more of an open approach to them, making sure I look at them as as saying like, okay, I'm giving you a tool for my toolbox. I can tell you how to use it and you can use it in this situation, but you have, there is a mode to learning things yourself, you know, and I always try to encourage them to think, you know, critically think for themselves, you know, not so much just take things just because dad said it, you know, I I allow them to challenge me sometimes, you know, and I think there's um, definitely something in that that could really help them out. But I want them to think for themselves and develop their own opinions and their own interpretation of the world. Which leads us then on to what Jake alluded to, Chris, around the end of your career. Yeah. That conversation, I'd be remiss not to talk about that, that that was something that you very visibly challenged when you got the medical diagnosis and mm-hmm. you seemed to refuse for a long time to accept <laughs> yeah. that it was going to uh, end your career. Would you like, Would you tell us about that? Because it sounded like quite a difficult transition that you were oh forced gosh, to face. Man, just so people understand the mode of life that I was in, um, for the sports fans out there who understand, or if even if you don't understand sports, you know who LeBron James is, right? one of the best players ever. Uh, He just left our team and he went back to Cleveland. And, you know, we're in this situation to where I go from being the third option to saying, hey, Chris, we need that Toronto Chris. We need that young spry 23-year-old Chris. You know, where is that guy at? Let's get him back out here. And and I was with that. I said, okay, um, it was time to rise to that challenge. 
and I, I feel I was doing it and still trying to to have you know have those things to let me know and have those curses to say okay I'm still one of the best players in this game in the world I was so focused on that and I would fight through pain which ended up being detrimental to me in which I had a pulmonary literally had a pulmonary embolism and collapsed lung and I refused to go to the hospital for a long time you know until the pain got so bad so I said okay something's wrong I got to go and get checked out and, you know, this was in those moments, you know, I'm trying to prove that I'm the best. I'm trying to continue to perform high and make this thing happen because it's right there. And my last year playing, I felt that we could have competed for a championship. We're right there, two or three seed in the East. I'm trying to prove myself. And then when you're the one wearing the shoes, it's a little harder to walk in them. You know, usually it's easy to tell somebody, ah, hey, your life is more important you're, you know, make sure you take your health more important. But when you're interrupted in the middle of your thing, especially when you're at the in the best shape of your life, it doesn't make any sense. You know, so I was dealing with things that I could not comprehend at the time. You know, I'm a an elite basketball player that feels fine. No, I mean, I'm pretty good. I just go in for a routine checkup and they tell me, ah, oh, you got blood clots and that might be it. You know, which it ended up, you know, being it. But I'm redefining my career. You know, I'm redefining. Not only am I showing that I can do something else, but I can do something else and be an all-star doing it, you know, on a different team. Man, this is so cool. And then that comes to an end. So, you know, I didn't get to fully express that idea as an athlete. Sure. Losing the finals, losing the playoffs in front of everybody. I'll take that all day. But having your career come to an end in a doctor's office and then and then it's just, you know, jargon between doctors and lawyers and owners and employees. It just, it, you know, it got to be too much. So, um, you know, it just it, it just was a thing that just transpired, you know, and I had to get over that. And how old are you now, Chris? I'm 37 years old. So let's imagine you were still playing and you still played for a few more years, right? That was Yeah, that was the goal. <laughs> and let's say you won um, another Olympic gold medal and let's say you ended up winning a couple more NBA championships and four or five times more NBA All-Star, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you would have done, you've already done it, right? Right. So <laughs> all the experiences that you could have had, yep. you had you've them. already had them. Because you've done it. Yeah, I've done it, right? So it's funny you say that. That is pretty much what I had to come to. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. And we were talking. I said, man, it didn't end the way it's supposed to end, man. He said, it never ends the way it's supposed to end. Dude, you did this. You did this. You did this. You want to do it again? Yes. <laughs> and, and then if you want to do it again, at what cost? And so that was definitely, I mean, that it, it stung so much, not in a bad way, but it stung so much coming from someone that has my best interest. But hearing that harsh truth of saying, man, I had this whole other preconceived notion of how my career, my life, whatever was going to play out. It did not happen like that. But then again, it did because we're just talking about icing on the cake, man. 
Sure, you couldn't play into your late 30s or mid 30s, but man, that's the thing that I came to. Look at all this coolness that you were able to be around and accomplish from 19 to 31 years old and the career that you were able to have. But most importantly, the connections I made, the friends that um, I made, you know, those kids that hopefully believe they can do it one day. Like you were saying, take, I, I like always, I like to always say like, they can take away the what. The what can be taken away, but the why cannot. Yeah. You know, so what was taken away was basketball. I could not be a basketball player. But, you know, inspiring the youth, you know, having kids that code, having teenagers now that code to say, hey, man, I code because of you. Like, what? Because of uh, uh, something that I took part in. You know, those are the things that I think that are the forever lasting things. And, and I couldn't, you know, it was a total ego check, man. You know, my ego wants to be like, no, 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 no. You're going to be top 20 in NBA all-time scoring. You're going to have these things. It's like, yo, what else do you want, man? Two championships. There's always you know? more. There's always, always more. more. Championship, gold medal, all these things. It's always more, no, you know? <laughs> I, think, I think that it's not about losing the icing on the cake, right? It's about gaining everything that you've got today. Because let's say your career carries on. How do you know that you don't... Um, sliding doors moments, isn't it? You don't leave the house because you've got to go to training and you have a, a horrendous car accident and your whole life is over. Or any myriad of things could have mm. happened if yeah. you'd have gone down that path. Yet you sit here today, not only have you got five healthy kids and a great marriage, and Absolutely. you've got all those brilliant memories of your career, but guess what else you've got? a constant burning lit flame inside sure. you because of the way your career ended that is going to sustain you for the rest of your life. Like what happened to you? I know this, like maybe you don't agree, but I have this conversation now with you and think what a blessing the way your career ended. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm to that point now. Me about three or four years ago would have, would have argued against that. Stood I up definitely... and walked out the interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, no, I don't know, man. <laughs> One of the things that um, really, really made me, give me a lot of perspective was um, in my pursuit of getting back into the league, a year had passed and, you know, I was just like getting back in shape and I said, you know what, let me get back. I'm going to get back into it. The next NBA season, I missed all last season. Let me watch this season. Let's go. I'm going to get back into the game. I'm working out every day. I had a good summer. The first five minutes of the NBA season, I haven't watched basketball in one year. First five minutes, I see a dislocated ankle. And, you know, I was like, damn. All that fire I had in me, just like, ah. I said, okay, that could be you. That is definitely something that can happen to you. You've seen it in person. Here it is again. Even my, my friend didn't know what he was looking at. He said, oh, no, his shoe just came off. I said, no, his ankle came off. Seeing that, I was like, damn. But in that, you know, like you were saying, yeah, any of the myriad of things can happen. Most importantly, like looking back on all that time, after I was done playing, I realized how much I was gone. I realized how much of a sacrifice it was for my, my, my wife to be at home you know, with children, you know, we had three at the time when I was playing, but when I was still trying to get in, we had just had our twins, you know? So this was like a, a thing I had to understand. And, you know, I remember just being in the house and being like, wow, they're really loud. And, you know, my <laughs> wife's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, 
for you. You have to learn your own house and your own environment of how it really is, you know. So I had to I had to really, really fall into those things and appreciate those things and say, man, you know, I tell my kids, they, you know, sometimes they'll ask me to this day, Yo, why did you stop playing basketball? I said, well, you know, if it was up to me, I would have played. But I'm so happy that it happened because for the last five years, I would have been here a lot less. You know what I mean? And and even when I'm here, I'm not. You know, I'm thinking about the next game. I'm asleep. I'm dozing off. <laughs> I sit there and watch, you know, Paw Patrol with my son and be like, yeah, let's watch Paw Patrol. You know, <laughs> that was pretty much the routine. But, you know, I, I do agree with you in the sense that it keeps the fire burning because it could, it could extinguish at any minute. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. See, I think one of the great lessons you have to teach us is about the quality of courage. The courage to reinvent yourself. So we've spoken about mm. the trauma of how your career ended, but reading about the work you've done in terms of trying to raise awareness of the STEM subjects or the fact that you've launched your own music career mm -hmm. really intrigues me because that's something around suspending ego. You've got a big reputation and mm -hmm. you could lose it or, you know, you could put yourself up for ridicule or, uh, or mockery. Yeah. And yet you seem to have the courage to actually go and pursue these different lines. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, um, that's one of the things that I really realized doing. Um, in that, it's funny you say reinvention. Man, Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Heat, he is somewhere high-fiving somebody right now with that word. But I came to really embody that word because I had to reinvent my career every year being on those teams. You know, what am I going to do this year to be a better player? You know, we won our first championship, championship, and then we got more talent. We got Ray Allen and Rashard Lewis. Okay, now I'm going to have to reinvent my game again and reinvent my role and what I mean to this team and my job so we can be successful. I had to take all of these lessons that I learned from playing the game and aspiring to win championships and be an all-star and all that good stuff and apply them <laughs> 
to my own life, which it sounds cool, but man, I'm telling you, it's a lot of hard work. It's just like, it's a lot of eating your own cooking, you know, like, ah, I said that. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Do what you love. That doesn't make any sense. That's the dumbest shit I ever heard. You said, who said that? You did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, but there was so much beauty in that. And so much like in interest in just saying, wow, okay, I've got to reinvent myself. I have to be a beginner. Oh boy, I suck. <laughs> you know, that's how I wasn't making music and it didn't make any sense. Like, yo, I'm 32 years old. The ego's just screaming at me. I'm 32 years old, you know, trying to play open chords at a campfire. And how did you dial down that ego, Chris, to then to persevere? To know that, you know, you know, hell, Mozart, Janelle Monet, they had they they weren't always great. Have you ever and I'm sure you know people, plenty of people who've tried to play music, right? But how many people stop because it's hard? And it's like you're growing new brain cells. You've never done it before, which you thought you were gonna be, you know, Bach as soon as you sat down at the piano. It doesn't make any sense. What in our minds makes us think that we're gonna be super expert and skip the whole process? Enjoy the process, you know, get to the process. Okay, learn the things, go through it like everyone else, but put the time in, most importantly. You know, it takes time. You're not just gonna sit there and not put any time in and just, you know, be Hendrix on the guitar. You know, you have to put the time in. You gotta bruise those fingers, they're gonna bleed. You're gonna be frustrated. You're gonna wanna, you're gonna quit it. Then you'll pick it back up. You know, is you're gonna have that love hate relationship. But one one thing that gave me confidence is knowing that if that if I don't quit, that if I don't stop, that I keep per- pursuing to get better, is eventually it's gonna get there. And with that said, what are you trying to be a master? I had to realize that too. I'm not even trying to be a master. I just want to be decent. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't take ten thousand hours. I'm thinking like a thousand. <laughs> You it's know, a good how life about lesson. That? Yeah, man, how about that? I'm not trying to be the best in the world. I'm just trying to be decent, you know. So when I get with my friends, we have a couple drinks. You know, I'm, I, when my solo comes, I'll be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> What's the phrase? Today, be brave enough to do something you're bad at. It's a good, it's a good lesson for life. So, Absolutely. So your relationship with risk then, it sounds to me like you have a pretty healthy relationship with risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what is risk? Just doing something and taking a chance. Like, I would rather do that and be in the arena and have the experience as opposed to saying what I could have done. You know, I've had and that's one of the interesting things as well, you know, in my childhood and in my quest, um, you know, in the NBA, you have many, many teammates. Right. And many friends and you get a bunch of people saying what they want to do, but not doing anything about it. You say the right things, but yeah. then again, you don't. You don't do it, and then you complain about it. That kind of got tiring. I was like, well, I would at least rather try as opposed to saying, like, I would have did this, but you know how it is. Like, no, I don't know how it is, man. I would rather, I would rather try it, especially if it's something that I love doing, kind of picking back on that love thing. If I love doing it, then what are we even talking about, you know? Laughing at my shitty beats, that's a part of the process. <laughs> that's just going to be, uh, you know, hey, Timbaland went through it. You know what I mean? Quincy Jones, I'm sure, 
tried to play a chord and everybody somebody laughed him <laughs> out the room. If if they could go through that, so can I. Mate, everyone was once bad at something they're now good at, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a part of the process, yeah. you know, and, and, and you got to just go into it and dive into it and be happy with it. So can you explain then the value of a good teammate in that regard? Because I think this applies both on the basketball court and whether it's in the music studio. Yeah. That you need people around you that, that do raise you up, people that encourage you, people Absolutely. that remind you of the process. Absolutely. Would you describe the best qualities of a best teammate then, Chris? That's something that I teach my kids every single day. Like, yo, you, you have to be a good brother, a good sister, be a good teammate. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're mad. You know, if you're mad, that's fine. We're all human, but you don't take it out on someone. You want to build them up. You don't want to break them down, you know? And in that, if we are all successful as a team, damn, we all look good, you know? But more so into that, diving a little deeper, it does take that teammate to pick, you know, pick. when I mean, when I say pick you up, someday you might be having a bad day and you need that person to say, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Or the young lady needs that person to say, okay, instead of pushing you today, how about I pull you? <laughs> Let's go. I got you. Because we're all going to come into a situation at one time or another where we have to rely on someone. And when you have to rely on someone, we, we had a saying with the team, I want to look to my left and look to my right and be confident. I say the same thing with my kids every day. I want to look at you. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at your brothers and sisters and say, man, I feel good. Nobody wants to mess with us today. <laughs> you know, if it's a big game today, let's go. With these, with these ones, oh, yeah, we're, I feel bad for you guys because we're going to be delivering. And that's, you know, whether we're successful or not. But having that bunch um, that you can be in the foxhole with, so to speak, that, that's what's important. And not only being in there, but know, like know without a shadow of a doubt, they have my back. Man, I think, you know, I tell my wife, my kids, my family, I've got your back. That's the most important the most important thing uh, in the world that I tell to them. You've got your own basketball team at home. You've got all five players in the house. <laughs> so uh, you're the coach. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're now coaching them. What were the greatest lessons you learned from the men who coached you during your career? My varsity coach, uh, Coach Bishop, he brought me into his office one time. And he said, you know, I didn't know what it was about, but, you know, it's one of those instances where the coach wants to talk. And he said, you know what kind of leader you are? You're the lead by example type. And we always hear it, right? Very cliche, but we never really take time to understand what that means. You're the lead by example type. You don't have to be hype all the time and yell at guys and curse at guys to get them to do what they need to do. It'll be even more powerful if you do those things, if you're on time, if you're dressed and ready before practice. So when I blow the whistle, we're ready to go. You know, when I bring the team in the huddle, we're not tying our shoes and putting on our stuff. And no, 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 we're dressed. We're ready to go. You can lead by example by going to class and doing your work and making sure you have the grades. That was, you know, one of those pieces of advice that really, really resonated with me because I could I felt like I could be who I am. You know, a lot of the times in a leadership or even a following role, 
people are asked to not be who they are, you know, and you feel that you have to create some kind of character to help get you through it. You don't have to, you know, and and, and you can, you know, take so many other things by leading by example, because he was telling me your teammates are watching you. That's how good you can play the game. So set the example from your work. And we touched on it earlier. One of my other coaches challenged me to think about why I want to do it. I wrote about that in the book as well, um, because this particular instance, I was I guess I was having such a great workout and he must have seen like, yo, this kid can go to the league. (laughs) You know, he can play in the NBA right now. And he asked me, he said, well, what do you want to do? That's when I knew, like, for sure, for sure, I could play in the NBA. You know, so it was one of those precursors. But with that said, it was he was making me think deeper on what am I doing? Is it just to get to this level or that level? And if I'm getting to this level and aspiring for that, why? So that sent me on a quest of, you know, just thinking about things and and, and thinking deeply on why I want to play this game, you know, and why I want to play it forever and You know, yeah, sure, a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, accolades and money and things like that will come. But what are you doing this for? You know, because you're good. We're not talking about talent anymore. (laughs) You're talented enough. Think about those deep layered conversations with yourself that you need to have to justify getting out of bed at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. Because when your body's saying, yeah, I can't move. You know how many times I woke up like, yeah, I can't move. And we got practice today. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, w- those things helped me get out of bed to go practice, to aspire to be great. You know? But do you think that it was not going back to revisit that, or you'd answered that frequently enough that when the end of your career was forced upon you, that it was almost difficult to face an alternative? Why? Hugely difficult. It wasn't hard to... To, to face an alternative why, because I was forced to. The hard part was getting over the past. <laughs> that was yeah. the challenge. Yeah. Like, this is unfair. This is BS. Why me? You know, and having both sides of the spectrum to be like, oh, wow, one and done 19 year old kid out of Hutchins, Texas. Wow. That's like a point oh 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 one percent chance of happening. An elite athlete getting a blood clot and not being able to play again. That's a point oh 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 one percent. You know, I had I felt it on both sides. So those feelings come, you know, and you have to process them and you have to get over them. That was the hard part for me. That was the hard part in saying like, well, hey, shit happens and I've got to move forward. That was like, "Mm, but no, no, I'm supposed to be playing basketball right now. And I need to be doing X, Y, or Z. And that, you know, that just was not my reality. Like fighting the actual reality. That was my challenge. And so I eventually had to come to the understanding that, yeah, man, I mean, hey, man, man, look at all the fun you had, man. Look at all that fun you had. Now we're doing this. And now it's time to find another what. The why is still there, but let's find this other what and let's work towards that and stop being in this stagnant area of what ifs and the poor man's pity party, you know, because I'm the only one invited and nobody else wants to come. You know, my wife will come and be nice, but after a while it gets old. You know, I had to break out of that. Are you happy? Oh, yeah. A hundred thousand percent. 
<laughs> so, so that's a big number. And I need total honesty yeah. from you here. If you'd yes. have had three more years as an NBA player, or if you were even still playing now at 37, would you be happier? I can't say that I would be. You know, I'm so grateful in the position that I'm in. Just having it down decently enough of being a father, boy. Just being able to survive that, getting through that and learning over that learning curve. Because if I was still playing, that learning curve is still waiting on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would still have to be like, okay, how do I pack a lunch? We're going on a field trip. Damn it. Put the kids in the car. Oh, my God. It was it was one of those things where I just fell into it. And hearing other people talk and talk about how the good times with their kids. Well, they're, my kids are in that age range right now. You know, so I learned even in the tough days, I learned to appreciate those times and those things and stay in the moment, you know, and and be there with them to experience that time because I know it's fleeting, you know. So, uh, man, that gives me the most happiness and knowing that I have been there. I'm there. You know, I got three boys, man. You know, the boys need that dad in the house because as soon as you leave, they start cutting up and, you know, swinging from the chandelier, you know. I'm, I'm glad that I can. I have learned how to to be that person of uh, of order and discipline, but at the same time, just be dad. Hmm. You know, just be dad. And when they're having a tough day, they can talk to me, or I want to be that person that they feel that you know, hey man, I'm I'm you. I, I got your back. You know, I, I'm going to be here for you. I want to see you develop, and I don't need anything from you. I just want you to be happy. You know, becoming that person and and diving into that role and and hopefully excelling at it, that's that's what gives me the true happiness. Basketball, the game, could not give me that. You know what? It seems to me that you spent so long in basketball that you thought you were an NBA player. And then when Pretty your much. career ended, you struggled because you still thought you were an NBA player. And now you realize that you're so much more than just an NBA player. That was one of the things. I, I've had a couple of players to be at the end of their careers and like reach out to me and say, hey, man, what do I do? I mean, you know, it's a broken hearted situation because you think you're a basketball player and that's it. Athletes that have given their life to something, you have to rediscover who you are or discover who you are. You don't know. You still have things to go through and 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 and, and goals to make and, and try to go after. You don't know anything about, it. you know, I've been going to basketball practice. I, I asked one of my buddies, I said, hey, man, and this is a guy that. You know, had a short stint in the NBA, like a few games, but made his living playing overseas. I said, OK, let me ask you a question. How long have has basketball pretty much have you put the hours in for it to be a full time job? Pro level basketball. And he thought about it because it was a lot of math. He said, man, about 18 years, I said, 18 years, right? 18 years. That's all you've done, and that is wonderful, and that is great. Put that in a box and lock it up because it's in the past. You have to rediscover. You have to discover who you are. You don't even know who you are. You know what I mean? We don't, even, we don't go to the grocery store every Sunday. And Have you had that frustrating day when, the, when you're trying to put the car seat in the car and it's not working? <laughs> you know, have you had to call, you know, the tow truck or something because your car broke down? You know, those are the things that you have to go through in order to find out who you really are, you know, because all we not all we have done, but what we have done was bus practice, 
even our schedule is made for us. That was one of the things I had to get used to. I was like, man, this world is crazy, man. It's just nothing. It's just you could just <laughs> do whatever you want. You know what I mean? There's no bus to practice. There's no practice. It's just uh, what in the world am I doing every day, you know, for months. But instead of soaking and doing all this, hey, let me make my own schedule because I like schedules. Damn. It's one of the main things I tell guys, man, structure that day, buddy. Get, hey, work out at eight. Breakfast at nine, kids at 10, whatever that thing is, make sure you're scheduling it. And you're going to have to make the schedule now because you're the guy, you're the boss, right? You're the leader of the family. That's another tough thing to come into. We're, it's always in theory. Oh, you're the leader because you're the breadwinner and all these things. No, no, no. Now you're really the leader because you're here every day. Now that I've got you, all these things are coming on. You have to learn how to be a human being in society after all that. Chris, we finish our podcast with a quick fire round of questions. If we can kick off with the first one, what are the three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you have to buy into? I would say definitely uh, communication. I've, I mentioned that earlier. Um, you have to communicate. You have to, whether things are good or bad, that has to be a practice, a daily practice. I have to know where you are or you stand. You have to know where I stand. We have to know where this thing stands and where we are. I would say another one is positivity. You got to be positive. The glass is always half full, you know, and even if it's not, we're pouring in it and we're working towards, you know, doing that. I, I found that a lot of people can really sulk and, and, and that sulking is just this dangerous loop. You can control your outlook. You can't control what happens around you, like I said before. But your outlook, like, okay, guys, it, this is messed up. But hey, pancakes in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's get some eggs. <laughs> I can cook some decent egg. Let me, I put a little salt and pepper in there and let's figure this out. And I would say you got to put the work in, man. Putting in the work. You have to be going toward a goal every day. What advice would you give to a teenage Chris just starting out? I tell them to stay with it because there are going to be some challenges. Don't get to a position where you feel like you know it all. Definitely, of course, always be, uh, you know, thirsty for knowledge. But more, more importantly, you know, make connections, make friends. I, I've been saying that quite a bit. Um, make those connections like make sure you enjoy the people around you. Make sure you love what you're doing. You know, just really go after it. And but most importantly, I would definitely say, you know, put your seat buckle on, buddy. You're going to you know, you're going to have to persevere through quite a bit. And it's all worth it. But more importantly, the things are coming. Those challenges are coming. The gauntlet is coming and you definitely will have to, to meet those expectations, exceed those expectations, exceed those, you know, get around those obstacles. And everybody's, you know, anticipating you doing that. And you're going to go through your own internal struggle. And that's okay. But have the confidence by putting the work in, being a good person and keep going for it. Our listeners are often ask us for one book recommendation, apart from your own letters to a young athlete book. Mm. What one book recommendation would you offer for our listeners? I would recommend uh, my buddy, uh, Ryan Holiday. He wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. 
You guys might have heard about it, and I'm sure may, some of your listeners have heard about it. Wonderful book. But it just talks about embracing the challenge. Embrace it. Don't run from it. I'm going to climb it. I'm going to go around it. I'm going to break it. I'm going to do these things. You know, it, it, I just feel it just gives you it gives another perspective on identifying the obstacles and saying, man, oh, I must be on the right track because that's a big obstacle right there. So I must be going. Let's go toward it. Let's not try to move. Don't shy away from it. Go toward it. And, and it was one of those uh, books that helped me really get mentally prepared uh, for playoff situations and championship situations when I had to, you know, when I had to make it happen. Those are definitely one of the books that um, really, really aided me in my quest. How important is legacy to you? Funny thing about legacy, it's not f there for you to interpret. Usually you're dead and gone. <laughs> What's that message now? You know, the legacy thing, you know, some people say family, some people say kids, some people say basketball. I think it's always like um, it's always something that you have to continually refine. But you also have to keep in mind in your interactions with people. You know, so when I when I, when I interact with people, if I have a teammate, that's what legacy is. If I had a teammate. Hey, what do you think of Chris? I remember that time. That's legacy. The stories that are brought up when you're mentioned. So. You know, and if there's any basketball players listening to this, you know, they, they try to rush us into in sports in general. Right. What the legacy? No, 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 no. Take it easy. There's so much more. Hopefully there's such a long runway to have after this game because I'm not just a basketball player. I'm a human being and I have the opportunity to be a human being in, a, in with a responsibility. Let me handle that correctly. I have people actually listening to me. Let me make sure I'm setting a decent example every day for them and myself and my family. You know, that, that's what I think uh, a true legacy is. And finally, Chris, what is your one golden rule to live a high performance life? Well, I like the golden rule. Treat others like you want to be treated. That would be a wonderful place to start. I think we could all tremendously benefit by just taking that. Realize that one of the golden rules is, you know, just really keep going. <laughs> golden rule, keep going. My rookie coach, Kevin O'Neill, that's all he would tell me, man, keep going, CB, keep going. And I would get so mad because I'd be like, well, what the hell does that mean? Now I find myself using that as a golden rule. <laughs> because if you, you know, if you keep going, you know, regardless of the circumstance, good day, keep going. Bad day, keep going. Regular day, keep going. <laughs> you know, keep going toward that goal. You know, prepare yourself mentally. Visualize yourself being successful every day. Keep going. Why not? Glass is half full, man. And that's, you know, that's just one of the things that really, really helped me out. And, and I think about, man, what if I would have quit? What if I would have taken that one second to be like, ah, oh, woe is me? I would have missed out on championships. I would have missed out on gold medal and all-star nominations. But more, more importantly, I would have missed out on a good time. I would have missed out on the friends I, I made in Africa building a home for somebody. I would have missed out on being in India, being in a position to be the global ambassador and spread the game of basketball in a place to where soccer and cricket are the biggest sports in the world. You know, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. I probably would have missed out on those things. And, and the wonderful people 
and experiences that I had before. I mean, even my son, I brought my son with me. We were, we in Mumbai, that's the Taj Mahal, son. He couldn't speak then. He was only two years old, but we, you know, I brought him. We got, we've got the picture, you know? So those are, you know, those are the things I really feel that, um, really aided. And, and, you know, you have those golden rules and take on that, that embodiment. It can only help you. Wow. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to sit here and talk to you for the last hour. I think I think people too often make the mistake of thinking they're confident when actually they're egotistical. And you are the embodiment of someone who clearly has confidence, but also seemingly has no ego. And it's so refreshing and it's so good to see. And the best thing is the smile on your face, because I think you've come to the realisation now that basketball's loss is Trinity's and Lennox's and Phoenix's and Jackson's and Dylan's gain. Your family oh, have gained where basketball has absolutely. lost. And absolutely. the person who's gained the most, perhaps you don't even now realise it, but I think in the future you will. The person who's gained it the most from the way your career ended is you. So congratulations oh, no, and thanks for your I'm time. With that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely. And thank you guys for your time. This has been awesome. Damien. Jake, I love that guy's energy. It was amazing, wasn't it? I thought it was incredible. I think, you know, we both sat here with big smiles on our faces that, you know, if we talk about people being energizers or energy sappers, he was somebody that definitely brought plenty of energy to our conversation. And, you know, just to be absolutely clear to people, you know, he was at the height of his sport at one of the best teams in the NBA he just signed a five-year contract worth $120 million. And then he gets an illness that was totally unexpected that not only could risk his life, but certainly ended his career. And here we are talking to him just a few years later. And I do get the sense that he has come to terms with that. Do you? Or is there any sense from you that it's still difficult and he's kind of saying the right things without believing it? No, I'd sense that um, I think if we'd have spoke to him maybe two or three years ago, we might have had a very different conversation as he alluded to himself. But I sense that he's made peace with that. I was reminded actually when he was talking of, uh, I think I've told you before about many years ago meeting a coach called Angelo Dundee that was Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard's coach. And yeah, I was you like, might have mentioned it about 15 times. I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've only got a limited number of anecdotes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good one, mate. Angelo Dundee. It's not. It's a good name no, to no, drop. It's a name drop. But, but I remember sort of talking to him about fighters, and I was like a kid in a sweet shop. And his answer was, "I don't work with fighters. I work with young men that just happen to fight." And it's about the person, not the profession, that defines them and helping them understand that you're going to have a long life after the sport that's most important. And I think. Like Chris said, it's difficult when you're in it to realise that, but I think his illness has led him to understand that he's a father, he's a partner, he's a son, he's an inspiration to lots of people, not just the basketball player. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us, because look, we're not all NBA basketball players competing on uh, you know elite level, but we all pretty much all have a job. And what's the first thing you are, someone asks when you go out to a party or you meet someone for the first time? Oh, what do you do? It's like the number one question, isn't it? It's like immediately that puts a label and a stamp on you and it defines who you are. I think it's a really good reminder that everyone listening to this podcast will probably have a job and therefore they'll be asked regularly, what do you do? Maybe answering with what your job is is not necessarily always the answer. No, talking about what your passion is, talk about the difference you make in somebody's life, talk about what fires you up is just as valid of, you know, it's not just what we do, it's who we are. 
that's a more valuable question that that I think we should start to ask ourselves and other people. I loved the conversation we had about relentlessness with him. I think one of the recurring themes on this podcast is the relentless ability just to keep going. Yeah, you know, that great saying that if you're good, you'll get it. If you're consistent, you'll keep it. And I think he's a great illustration of that, that it's not just enough to have the talent. It's something else that's about the drive and the willingness to keep going back and doing the work in the shadows that nobody sees that keeps you at the forefront of whatever your pursuit is. What a fascinating opportunity, mate, for us to talk to him. It was a privilege. Again, I think all all the guests that we've had on the four series prior to this, Jake, have been a real privilege that they've been so humble and so generous and so kind to share that view. And he was certainly another one that, that fits that, that criteria. You know what, Damien, the one thing that really excites me is how this podcast is growing from just being something that people can listen to, to being something that people can be part of. I, I know we've spoken a lot about the fact that we're writing a book that people can pre-order now just by going to the description for this podcast. But also we've created something called the High Performance Circle. And I just really want to talk to you for a minute about our idea behind it and the kind of stuff that people can expect. Because... Listening to a podcast is one thing, taking notes is another thing, but feeling like you're part of a community, I think just takes it on another whole stage, doesn't it? Definitely. I think that one of the innate human needs is we need to feel that we belong and surrounding ourselves with people that take high performance seriously, that want to learn about it, want to share best practice, lessons learned, failures and what they've taken from it is just really empowering and inspiring and that's what we wanted. We wanted to create a tribe and a community of people that know that high performance matters. And we also really want your feedback as well. So if there's people that you know of or you've seen or you've heard from and you think they'd be great for the high performance circle, then please let us know. So what we're offering on the high performance circle is a monthly newsletter where Damien and I will write to you and we'll share some thoughts and bits and pieces, but also loads of brilliant, genuine amazing content so you can see podcast episodes that you either won't see anywhere else or that you can get before they're released as part of the high performance series you can also get access to high performance boosts which are just short sharp 10 15 minute presentations from people from all different walks of life but who are all really inspiring and have amazing stories to tell and as well as that we're doing keynote speeches and the keynote speeches um, are a good long in-depth talk And we had one from Adrienne Herbert, and I loved the conversation that she shared with us because she spoke about something called the Power Hour, which is her book, Damien, but it's about starting your day right and taking things forwards from there. Yeah, I thought she was brilliant. I thought, you know, she's she's inspiring in terms of being a mother of a young son. You know, she's out there building a a business. She's out, uh, you know, she's she's a partner. And she takes on so many of those roles that we're all adopting and doing our best in. And yet she's sharing some of the lessons that she's learned. And the most powerful one is that idea of just getting up an hour earlier and using it to set your day off on the right tone. I thought it was brilliant the way she explained it. And we often get people saying to us that, um, you know, they really want to be successful in life, but they don't necessarily understand that it's not about just chasing success. It's about making sure that on the journey, everything is lined up to achieve that success. And we're going to be speaking in a few weeks' time to Olympic athletes that are involved in uh, in this summer's Olympics. And, and one of them talks really, really beautifully about 
how he's connected his non-sporting life, doesn't he, Damien, to his sporting life. And if, if everything's not right, if there isn't balance, if there isn't alignment, if there isn't, as he says, equilibrium, then he really struggles. And I think that that's an important lesson for people, just, just to focus on the vital significance of getting equilibrium in their life. Yeah, often being unhappy in your home life has an impact on it in terms of your professional life. So taking care of all those factors and making sure that you put in as much energy into the time you spend with the children as you do the time you spend in the office is really is really important. That that key word that this interview we described that he even had tattooed somewhere on his person is equilibrium. <laughs> He had it tattooed in a place where he was happy to show us. Can I just make that yes. clear? It's not, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Damien, thanks so much, mate. No, thanks, Jake. Loved it. I appreciate it as always. Let me please remind you, follow Damien at Liquid Thinker on Instagram. You can find High Performance on Instagram as well, at High Performance. You can join the High Performance Circle by entering your email address at thehighperformancepodcast.com. You can also pre-order our book, which is coming out in December. Find the link in the description to this podcast. But most of all, please keep listening, keep engaging, keep sharing and keep talking because it is absolutely vital as all of us look to live a more high performance life. Thanks so much to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio, to Hannah, to Will, to Damien. But most of all, as I say every week to you, and I genuinely mean it, Without you and your amazing reaction to these podcasts, uh, we wouldn't be here doing it. So thanks very much. Have a brilliant day.